Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. This episode begins a new sermon series titled Cultivate. Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill discusses the difference a church can make in a community in his sermon titled Impact. Now here is Pastor Rob. So I'm starting a new sermon series today called Cultivate, and I kind of want to begin with the end in mind. I want to paint a picture for you today of what happened in the first great awakening 300 years ago. Now, many of you will know that the foundation of many of the American colonies was faith in Christ. People came to North America to get away from religious persecution and to be able to live out their faith. And so in many cases, the American colonies started with vibrant faith in God. And yet, at the same time, that faith that, that, that started here began to fizzle quickly. It became formal. It became uh, perfunctory, and, and so people began to slip away from the faith and from the church. For decades, for decades in this country, faith fizzled. But then in the 1720s in New Jersey, revival sprung up. It died quickly. It didn't get sustained. But then in the 1730s in Northampton, Massachusetts, in a church that had been faithfully led for decades, Jonathan Edwards began preaching, and something new began to happen in that congregation. Revival began in that congregation. But it quickly spread. It spread to Enfield and right down the Connecticut River to Old Saybrook. The first Great Awakening in this country started in the Connecticut River Valley, and it spread from the Connecticut River Valley across New England and around the American colonies. Now, here's the interesting thing about stuff starting in New England. When things start here in New England, they tend to spread, okay? Chocolate chip cookies are a perfect example. In the 1930s in Whitman, Massachusetts, Ruth Wakefield and her husband owned the Toll House restaurant. They served ice cream at this restaurant, and Ruth Wakefield was looking for the perfect cookie to go along with their ice cream. She was a bit of a perfectionist, and she kept working on this recipe until she invented the chocolate chip cookie. She published the recipe in 1938, and she ended up on Betty Crocker's radio program. Nestle bought the rights to print the recipe on the bags of their chocolate morsels, and they renamed them Toll House Morsels. And the chocolate chip cookie began, and it spread all over the world, and aren't we glad it did? Can I get a (laughs) what-what? Chocolate chip cookies. Now, does that prove that things that begin in New England spread around the world? No. But is it a story that repeats itself over and over again? Yes, it is. Now, people will say about us here in New England that that faith is struggling in New England. People will tell us that the statistics say that faith is on the ropes here in New England. And they point to some statistics that are truly troubling. Right here in our midst, if you start to measure faith based on church participation, yep, there aren't as many people who go to church in New England as in other parts of the country. 
If you look at the statistics as well, they will say that there are more people here in our region who would check the box marked no religious preference than there are in other parts of the country. But those are the headlines. Those are the headlines. And yes, the headlines have difficult news in them. But when you look at what's going on underneath the surface of those headlines, I argue that the headlines don't tell the real story about us. Before coming to Valley in 2020, I had the opportunity to travel in and out of this region multiple times for seven years. And the interesting thing is what I found in coming in and out of this region is that people were eager to have conversations about faith and honest about what they thought about God and honest about the, the desire to be a part of a conversation about faith. Not only that, but I was a part of a network that was planting churches at the time. And when we planted churches in New England, they tended to be stronger, they tended to thrive, and they tended to last for much longer. So I would argue that actually God is up to something critically important underneath the surface here in New England. And so if we think about God doing something under the surface, a revival brewing under the surface, then we have to recognize the fact that whatever God is going to do next here, we would love for God to do first in this church. We would love to see whatever it is that God is up to in New England to spring forth here at Valley. And having sprung forth here at Valley, seeing revival here in our midst, to see that spread across Hartford and Litchfield counties. And if it happens in Hartford and Litchfield counties, it's going to spread across New England. And if it spreads across New England, this continent is next. Wouldn't it be fantastic to see what God does next begin here at Valley? Now, how is that going to be possible? How is that going to be possible? It boils down to us making a decision to keep the promises that we've already made to one another and to God. You see, I arrived two years ago and I began asking people in this church, who do you think God wants us to be and what do you think God wants us to do next? In prayer, I'm asking God the same questions and, and the amazing thing is I keep getting the same answer back. We're doing right things. We have the right mission. We have the right vision. We have the right values. Those things don't need to change. We're doing the right kinds of things. But as I look at those things, we have to keep the promises that we've made to one another and to God in our mission statement, in our vision statement, and in our values. And you have to ask, okay, then how do we do that? Well, for me, it comes together in a picture. And, and I'm, I'm calling that picture cultivate. And I want to show you a, a picture today. And I recognize that the picture that I'm going to show you is big. It's got a lot of words on it. And I don't expect you to absorb everything in this picture today. I simply want you to get the headline from this picture. And the headline is that Full Valley Engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. Full Valley Engagement cultivates disciples who impact our world for Christ. When we keep our promises to one another and to God, we're cultivating disciples. And when we cultivate disciples, those disciples impact our world for Christ. We impact this church for Christ. We impact Hartford and Litchfield counties for Christ. We impact New England for Christ. We impact the world for Christ. And we impact ourselves. Impact is where things begin today. And to understand what I mean by impact, we're going to go back to the New Testament. And we are going to study the lives of two footnotes in the New Testament and see how they had impact for Christ. 
But as we do so, we're asking God, how do you want me to have impact? Because we were built to have impact. And we are never complete until we're having the impact God wants us to have. And so as we turn to the New Testament now, we find that any Christian can have impact. Any Christian can have impact. Our scripture reading for for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this now. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. So in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, we meet Priscilla and Aquila. We discover that they had made their home in Rome, the political capital, of course, of the Roman Empire. They were Jewish by, by, by birth, and yet in Rome, they seem to have been introduced to faith in Jesus Christ and embraced that faith. But what we discover from history is that there was quite a controversy in the Jewish community over following Jesus in those days. That controversy in the Jewish community in Rome led to a series of riots. And those riots led the emperor, Claudius, to ban first Jewish assemblies and then to push all Jews out of the city of Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila left Rome and went to Corinth, which was the commercial capital of Greece and and an important spot as you get toward the eastern edges of the Roman Empire. In Corinth, they ended up becoming partners in ministry with the Apostle Paul. You see, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And so when Paul came to the city of Corinth, he sought out Priscilla and Aquila, and they became fast friends together because they shared so much in common. They were both tent makers, they were all Jewish, and they were all followers of Jesus dedicated to the mission of making and multiplying disciples. And so Priscilla and Aquila invited Paul to make their home his home base in the city of Corinth, and Paul began advocating for faith in Christ publicly among Jews and Greeks in Corinth, and he worked out of the home base with Priscilla and Aquila, and they provided him a job. Now, Priscilla and Aquila demonstrate that any Christian can have impact. Any Christian can have impact. Why do they demonstrate that? Because you look underneath the surface and you find incredible things that Priscilla and Aquila were doing. You can look at them as simply the bed and breakfast for the Apostle Paul during the 18 months of his ministry in Corinth. But that's missing really what's going on in the book of Acts chapter 18. Because yes... The Apostle Paul is noted in the headlines for being out advocating among Jews and Greeks for faith in Jesus Christ. Someone had to provide the logistics for what was going on in Corinth. Someone had to provide the funds for what was going on in Corinth. And when people became followers of Jesus, someone had to train them up in the faith, teach them how to be disciples, and teach them how to become disciples who multiply disciples. 
And the someone who did that in Corinth, at least at, at the beginning, seems to have been Priscilla and Aquila. Paul didn't do what he did in Corinth alone. He was a part of a team, and in Corinth, it seems, his team included Priscilla and Aquila. A reminder that everywhere, in every age, always, God is using all of us to have impact for Christ in the world, not just some of us. Priscilla and Aquila, it stands out to me, remind me very much of people here and now in the Farmington River Valley. You see, they were from Rome. The people of Rome were extraordinary people. They had built an empire that stretched the, the known world at the time, and they had held on to and administered that empire for centuries at that point. Priscilla and Aquila themselves were amazing, outstanding people. They were people of extraordinary capability. We've already seen in Acts chapter 18 that they helped the apostle Paul start the church in Corinth. What you're going to see as you continue to study Priscilla and Aquila is that they were really instrumental in the spread of the gospel across the Mediterranean world in the first century. When that's your template and you start looking at the people around us, you recognize that you see the same kind of people here in the Farmington Valley, people of extraordinary capacity. And that has been the dream of this church from the beginning, that if we could start this church here and now and reach the people of the Farmington Valley, they would reach the world because these are people of incredible impact here. Any Christian can have impact. Priscilla and Aquila also demonstrate to us that opportunities abound to make an impact. Opportunities abound to make an impact. Because you see, when they helped Paul plant the church in Corinth, they weren't done. As you continue to study the New Testament, you're going to find them pivoting from one location to another. So after moving from Rome to Corinth, we find that after Paul was there for 18 months in the city of Corinth, he continued on the homeward leg of his second missionary journey. And Acts chapter 18, verses 18 and 19 tell us that Priscilla and Aquila continued on that journey with the apostle Paul. After this, they wrote, the Acts writes, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencre, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and Paul left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So now what we see happening is that Paul continues on the homeward leg. He's making his way toward his home base in Antioch in Syria. He comes first to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, the cultural and commercial capital of Asia Minor in the eastern edges of the Roman Empire, Paul stops and he does ministry for a short period of time. Priscilla and Aquila, who had been with him, stayed in Ephesus. And then quickly we find Paul continued on toward Antioch in Syria. And so we're going to find eventually that Priscilla and Aquila had a very fruitful period of ministry in Ephesus. We'll come back to that in a bit. But what we're going to find eventually is that they went back to their home base in Rome. The emperor Claudius was gone and the ban on Jews in Rome was over and Priscilla and Aquila went back to their home base in Rome. In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5, the apostle Paul mentions them by name when he wrote, 
Greet Prisca, short for Priscilla, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. And so Paul says, after starting a church in Corinth, after helping him to start a church in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila went back to Rome, and guess what they did in Rome? They started another church. And he says, greet them by name, and all of the Gentiles are grateful for their ministry. You say, okay, that's, a, that's quite a life, quite a career. They must be done. But it turns out they pivoted one more time. Because toward the end of his life, the apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. Paul trained Timothy up in the ministry. And Paul sent Timothy to the important influential city of Ephesus to shepherd the church in Ephesus. And he wrote to guide Timothy about the ministry in Ephesus. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19 reads, Greet Prisca and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila had moved one more time. They had pivoted from Rome back to Ephesus again, where they were once again working to start and strengthen churches to make and multiply disciples for God's honor. They ask, how were they able to do this? How were they able to do this? Priscilla and Aquila were engaged in a missional enterprise. They were tent makers. And apparently they were very successful in their business. And we find that they may have had multiple spots where their business was was doing work. Because either it happened that when they were kicked out of Rome, they already had a business going in the city of Corinth, and when they moved from Corinth to Ephesus, there was already a unit of their business there, or they were able to find the capital when they left Rome to immediately start a comparable business in Corinth and then to do so again in Ephesus, which means... They were leading a multinational enterprise that was incredibly successful. Now, they used this multinational tent-making enterprise, first of all, to fund the church in the first century, fund the expansion of the church. But beyond that, they used this multinational enterprise they founded to become the basis from which and, and the source of income from which they traveled and did ministry themselves. And while it's not covered in the New Testament, you can bet that as they employed people, which they certainly did, they used their business as well as an opportunity to witness for Christ and to make and multiply disciples. Their missional enterprise is what enabled Priscilla and Aquila to pivot from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus to Rome and Ephesus again. Now, if we understand this model for being on mission for Jesus Christ, if we understand what Priscilla and Aquila did, then we see that opportunities abound for us to impact our world for Christ. We have obviously the opportunity to impact our world for Christ through directly volunteering here at Valley. We provide opportunities to impact our world for Christ. At the same time, we recognize if we understand what it is that Priscilla and Aquila were doing, we have opportunities to impact our world for Christ in our homes and in our neighborhoods. We have opportunities to impact our world for Christ through our networks of friends. and We have opportunities to impact our world for Christ through the businesses that we run and serve. 
opportunities abound for us to impact our world for Christ. And we discover that there are multiple fields of view in mind where we can be impacting the world for Christ. We can begin right here in our community. We can span Hartford and Litchfield counties. We can impact New England for Christ. We can impact our world for Christ. There are multiple opportunities and there are multiple fields of view for our impact. Which means our dream as a church for the future has got to include coaching one another to find the place where God wants to use us to make impact. If we are the ones that God will choose to use to make impact, then we owe it to one another to coach one another to discover each other's gifts for ministry. We owe it to one another to help each other figure out the strategies that will work for us, and we owe it to one another to help each other find the spot, the place where God will use us for impact. We owe it to one another and to God to coach one another to find the place where we can impact our world for Christ. Opportunities abound to make an impact. And we discover, too, in Priscilla and Aquila that God will use you to make the real impact. God will use you to make the real impact. I think one of the most amazing things that Priscilla and Aquila did, they did in Ephesus by raising up Apollos, who became a mighty champion for the faith. Apollos in the first century was a rising star, a a, a coming preacher who was advocating for the kingdom of God and for faith in Jesus Christ. He was from the city of Alexandria in Egypt, and Through the work of people who came to Alexandria to preach Christ, Apollos came to faith in Christ. He was a gifted, gifted speaker, and he began speaking immediately about his faith in Christ. But there was something missing from what he was saying. He left the city of Alexandria to continue speaking publicly, and he came to the cultural hub of Ephesus in Asia Minor. He started speaking about faith in Jesus Christ, and Priscilla and Aquila heard him. And they recognized the gap in his understanding. There were things he didn't know. Whereas Priscilla and Aquila had been shaped in their faith by the Apostle Paul. So Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside quietly and completed his training in discipleship and his understanding of the Christian faith. And then they opened doors for Apollos. They helped him to get an opportunity to preach at the church in Corinth that they had helped to start. And as a result, the church in Corinth grew, expanded, and strengthened. And then Apollos came back to Ephesus, and from there, he continued ministry. Understand, all this happened because Priscilla and Aquila invested in the life of a significant individual. Now, these two people are not apostles. As we study the New Testament, they're not the stars of the show. In fact, Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament are really just footnotes. But when you see what footnotes in the New Testament did to make and multiply disciples for Jesus Christ and to spread the church of Jesus Christ in the first century, you recognize how truly important their lives are. And it's a reminder that God will use all of us to impact our world for Christ. It's not just the superstars that are sent. We are all sent. The Bible tells us definitively that we, the followers of Jesus, are meant to be salt. 
We're supposed to add the flavor of God to the world around us. We are meant to be light, meaning that we bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the dark places. Jesus says that each and every one of us who is a follower of his is a disciple, and it is fundamental to the nature of disciples that we make and multiply disciples. The New Testament calls us ambassadors for Christ and for the kingdom of God, meaning that we live out and represent the values of the kingdom of God. We advocate for the interests of the kingdom of God, and we call people to join us in the kingdom of God. That's not what we do. That's who we are. And Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says that we do this in all the places that we go. And knowing that we would be going and in sending us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's that mechanism. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying you're going to be my witnesses, which means that you are going to represent me and advocate for me in this world. You're going to show and tell my story, and you're going to do it in all of the many places that you go, all of those fields of interest that you have. We are all sent. And now as we look back at great events in our history like the First Great Awakening, it's surprising to find that even in those places, it was all of us doing it that made the defining difference. You see, if you, if you pick up a history textbook and look up the First Great Awakening, you're going to read all about star preachers like Jonathan Edwards. And they were important in the First Great Awakening. And you're also going to read all about the ecstatic experiences that people had at revival meetings. And the revival meetings were important. But when you get under the surface of the headlines of the First Great Awakening, what you will discover is that the First Great Awakening didn't spread because of star preachers or ecstatic experiences at revival meetings. It spread because the people of God, people like you and me, attached to Jesus Christ, our lives were changed, and we went from person to person sharing this experience with people and inviting them to faith in Jesus Christ. The lives of changed people, being witnesses with the lives of other people and inviting them to faith in Jesus Christ is what spread the first great awakening. The people of the Connecticut River Valley spread the first great awakening from Enfield to Old Saybrook. You know that this church was built by her people too. Everyone who knows the history of this church knows that this church was founded by families, by people, just like you and me, dedicating ourselves to Jesus Christ and to building this church. That was the way this church was started. It was started by people inviting people to their homes, to Bible studies, to faith in Jesus Christ, to this place. And the truth of the matter is that's what started this church, and that is what will continue this church in this day and this age. It is when we together decide that faith in Jesus Christ has changed our lives and can change the world around us, and we offer it to people. Valley was built by its people. It will always be built by its people. And that means that our dreams for the future should always include providing the training that we need to do the job that God has called us to do. We, the people of Valley, are the assets that God is choosing to use in this day and in this age, which means that we need to provide each other the tools that we need, the information that we need, and the theological education that we need to do the things that God has called us to do. 
If we are to have impact, there are three words that I want you to remember today. Three words about impact. Word number one is you. You. Word number one is you. Because you see, if we are to impact our world for Christ, we must impact people. If we are to impact our world for Christ, it means that we're going to have influence with and on individuals. In other words, we are going to have to decide to invest our lives in others. And that means that we are going to have to step into their lives and call out in them the potential that we see in Christ and encourage them to follow through with that potential. We are going to have to decide to invest ourselves in people's lives, to call them to faith in Christ, to call them to come alongside of us, to call them to grow with us and serve with us and share with us. And that means at some point, using that awkward pronoun, you, and stepping into a person's life and saying, you, you are called, and you are extraordinary, and you should have faith in Jesus Christ. Word number one is you. It's an uncomfortable word. But someone spoke it into my life, and it changed my life. It's why I understood my calling to ministry. You see, I was called into ministry when I was 16 years old, but let's just say I had other plans for my life. I knew where I was going. I was going to college. I was going from college to law school. I was going to practice law for a few years and then run for Congress. And I promise you, I had plans to win when I ran for Congress. And and that was my life. I had my life all planned out. And then my grandparents called and asked if I would come to their church and preach for Youth Sunday. Because in their church, teenagers would preach on Youth Sunday. And it was interesting to me because I had vaguely thought about it years before and thought, maybe God wants to use me in this way, but because I had made up my mind about politics, I had thoroughly squashed that voice inside of my head. But I did it because my grandparents called. And after the experience, people stepped into my life and they said that word, you, you, you should be a pastor. And I thought, you should get your head examined. But I spent the next few months praying about what I had heard. And that's when I heard God using that word with me, you. You are going to do this. And I realized, no, this is the calling that God has placed in my life. And I said, yes. First word is you. The second word is me. And you may be thinking, who, me? Yes, you, me. Because when we think about having impact for Christ, we think of that as being something that other people do. Priscilla and Aquila remind us, though, it's not other people, it's us. We think, I could never, fill in the blank, I could never, what, invest in another person's life? I could never, what, speak for Christ? I could never share my faith in Christ? Me. I am the one called to do all of those things. I am the one gifted to do all of those things. God will use me, me, to impact our world for Christ. Word number one, you. Word number two, me. Word number three, yes. Say yes to God. Say yes to praying 
for revival. Join me in praying that whatever it is that God is doing under the surface in our day will break forth now and not decades from now. Will break forth now here. In our day, in our midst, in this place, here at Valley, one more time happening first here in Connecticut. Say yes to praying with me for revival in our day. Say yes, too, to seeking God's guidance because God is going to use each one of us to impact our world for Christ. And we pray and we seek his guidance until we know what it is that he wants us to do with our lives. We know it. We know it compellingly and we know it clearly and we won't quit seeking his guidance until we know it clearly and compellingly. Say yes to seeking God's guidance. And then say yes to impacting our world for Christ. I'd like for us to spend some time praying together now. Would you join me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Heavenly Father, this is exactly what we're praying over right now. We're praying right here and right now for revival in our day. You're clearly doing something under the surface right now. Your spirit is at work and on the move. We, we don't know yet whether you're prepping something to happen in decades or in days, God, but we long to see your spirit move in our day as you have in the past. We long to see, God, your spirit move in our midst. God, would your spirit move here and now today? And Father, I'm praying that you guide each one of us to understand what that place is where we can impact our world for Christ. God, would you make that real and and clear? Would you make that compelling to each and every one of us? Would you give us the will to say yes to you when we see it for ourselves? Lord God, would you make your will clear to us today? In Jesus, amen. Now, right now, we have a short-term mission team on the field in Jordan. If you were here before the service, you had an opportunity to hear a video from several of our team members. Now, this is the first time that we have had a mission team on the ground in another country since before the pandemic. And so this is a big moment for us as a church. Our history is having team after team after team going around the world sharing faith in Jesus Christ. And it's been two long years since that happened. But right now we have a team in Jordan, and so we're going to pray today for that team. One update to give you, they have arrived in Jordan, but on arrival, one of the bags that they brought of supplies was confiscated on entry into the country. It's a bag filled with 500 pairs of eyeglasses, and the team has asked us to pray that those eyeglasses will be released so that they can do what they had intended to do with those things. So we're going to pray together today for our short-term mission team to Jordan and for their work on the ground. I'd like to invite you to stand and join me as we pray. Because there are gonna be a couple of points in this prayer where I'm just gonna pause and it's your time to pray on their behalf. Would you join me then in praying? 
Heavenly Father, we come before you today on behalf of our short-term mission team that is on the ground in Jordan right now. We thank you for each member of that team. We thank you for the gifts that you've given them to do the work that you've called them to do. God, we thank you for the ways that you've moved in their lives to get them to this place. We thank you for our partners on the ground that they're going to be working alongside of. And we pray, Father, for that work to be done for your glory and honor. Together as the people of God now, we pause and we pray that you will prepare the hearts of every member of the team for the work that you would do in them and through them. Would you pray for the team now? Would you take a moment to pray that those 500 pairs of eyeglasses will be released to do the work that they were intended to do? Would you pray that this team has the impact that God intends for it to have through our partners? Would the name of Christ be lifted up and would people be drawn to faith in Christ? Would you pray now for impact? Father, you're hearing the prayers of your people even now, and we pray, God, that you would use our team to change the hearts and minds of people receiving their care. God, would you make much of the name of Jesus Christ through their work? We pray for their safety as they do their work, and we pray, looking forward to their return, that we might hear the stories of how you have changed the world through them. Father, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.